Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Welcome to a series of podcasts brought to you by the Yale Sustainable Food Project. Hi, my name is Kendra Dossi. I'm a Yale undergrad and special projects intern with the Yale Sustainable Food Project, um, Yale Farm specifically. And here with me, I'm honored to have Tanya Fields from the Black Project. Um, so you've said poverty is multi-layered. Uh, what are what, are, what do you think are some of the ways in which women, are color, women of color are served in America, and how does the Black Project seek to empower these women? So what are, what are some of the issues that face women who are in poverty in America? Yes. And how do we, how do we plan on fixing that? So you're just going to put me on the spot here. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I think... Poverty is multi-layered. Doesn't happen in a vacuum. It isn't just food. It isn't just housing. It's all of these different things, and then there are all of these sort of political machinations that are happening, sort of in the, excuse me, happening in the periphery, that contribute to that. But I think some of the biggest issues that are facing women of color right now, um, you know, particularly in my community, that's what I'll speak to because, like I said, it it it's it's different. There's some overlapping themes that are happening on a federal level, on a national level, um, but specific to sort of my community. I think some of the the biggest issues are that happen to affect um, women in my community and 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 their, and their children, for those who have them, and there are many of them, um, happen to be education. So the ability for them to educate themselves, have access to education, and to and and for their children, quality public education. Um, Welfare reform, and I don't mean sort of this idea that has been put forth by folks who have probably never even seen a benefit card or know what a, know what an old school food stamp looks like. Who are talking? Who are sort of riding this sort of classist and racist um, paradigm that women who are on welfare are leeches who don't want to work, and therefore their answer is welfare reform, which says that you will essentially go out work in the park, sweep a floor, just get any job to get off the welfare dole and doesn't really look at how to keep women off of welfare, help women to empower themselves and actually create sort of a sense of longevity and and a real pathway out of poverty. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about welfare reform. Safety nets with dignity. Um, Women who aren't spending hours and hours upon days and weeks in an office being subjected to... um, to to very sort of maligning and 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 bad behavior um, and abuse from those which they seek help that really think holistically around quality of life and how to um to create a safety net that contributes to that and then work fair work fair and work workforce development that actually is uh, working in conjunction with other nonprofits, other folks in the work sector to actually create real pathways out of poverty so that women are not coming back to these things. And then sort of attach that as housing, right? So then part of, you know, part of the reason that you're seeing a lot of the issues with welfare that you're seeing has to do with folks having issues with housing. So living in a city where real estate is king and every piece of land is up for grab and it's how can you turn one little piece of parcel, land parcel, into the potential to um, really drive revenue for folks that don't live in that community and don't have any um, analysis or even willingness or desire to to create things that actually 
contribute to the existing fabric of a community. So this is when you start seeing large large swaths of gentrification that happen in places like my old community of Harlem that are happening in, in sort of isolated communities in the Bronx um, that are happening in Brooklyn, places like Bushwick, Bed-Stuy, um, had long happened in Williamsburg. Um, and uh, definitely access to food, right? So, you know, I kind of left that last because that's kind of apparent from the work that I do. But the ability to be able to feed your family nutritious food and um, and and know that it, it that you didn't have to break the bank to do so. Um, and economic development. I think one of the biggest issues in any poor community is the disinvestment and many times the deliberate disinvestment that that happened. Um, and uh, how do you create a community that is really proud of itself and that isn't so mirrored in um, everything that's wrong with it, where children aren't sort of under the yoke of I live in this community and I know because I live in this community certain things are already destined to happen to me because this is the narrative of my community. How do you create economic development that spurs community development or vice versa, depends on how you look at it, that uh, really people say, this I have a part in creating the absolute best reflection of my community. And so until you start to have a very holistic look at the things that are affecting folks, you know, access to, to, to medical, you know, to quality medical care, you know, reproductive rights and family planning, um, these are all things that are that are real issues. And I would dare to say I'm not super well-traveled. I've been a few places. Um this is something that you see everywhere. When I went to Bolivia, you know, c- large indigenous community, you go into the rural parts, you talk to the Quechua women, you talk to the to the, the, the students at the Univalle, and you hear the same thing. And so um, I think that until we start to really stop trying to deal with issues in a vacuum, um, that doesn't mean that we take on all the issues. What it does mean is that we are creating organizations and movements that are interconnected with one another. Then when we're strategizing and we're plotting how we're going to create a better world, that we understand that we have partners. And it's not about us winning. It's about us working with different organizations who have, you know, the resources to tackle a housing issue, but are directly, directly understand how that is, you know, connected to criminal justice and and recidivism and incarceration, and that we do that work with that in mind and understanding that we're all equal partners in our common goal. It's not, you know, for me, it's about, yes, how do we get food into my community? But my goal, when people say you're a food justice activist, no, I'm a social justice activist, because my goal at the end of the day is to make sure that I'm moving this world on a trajectory that when my children get to this age, that it's more equitable that things are better across the board, you know, not that they can just get, you know, a bunch of organic broccoli at an affordable price, but that they also can live in a world where we don't hear about Trayvon Martins anymore, where we don't have large swaths of families living out of cars and in shelters. Um, and, and that, uh, old white men won't be discussing what my daughter does with her uterus. Right. Um, what are recent things the black project has been working on? So we've, uh, when we first started in 2007, before we were the Black Project, when I was just Tanya Fields, who wanted to do some stuff in my community because I knew there was a need, it initially started out with doing Mommy and Me yoga um, classes and doing free acupuncture um, and just sort of informal uh, political education. 
And through doing that work, I started to hear um, the folks in the room, women, men, children, talk about economic development, talk about how it was hard to continue this idea of healthy living and fitness when they knew that the food piece was missing and that they couldn't afford the food piece. Or if they could, they didn't have the time, the willingness, or the capacity to go to another community to get it. And so they were sort of resigned to just doing the best that they could on a day-by-day basis. And when they got through the week, that was a victory. And that's valid because I've been there. I'm often there sometimes doing this work as well. Um, And then we started working on an urban farming project, the Libertad Urban Farm Project. And we're still working on that three years later. I thought I was going to be able to come into the community, all these abandoned lots that were sitting around. We were going to turn them all into farms and we were going to create this awesome um, kick butt farm network of urban farms and we would we would feed all of the Longwood section of the Bronx and then we realized that that (laughs) was a lot harder to do than we anticipated because we didn't have an analysis I didn't have analysis on land use in New York City and how land even in poor communities is inaccessible and commodified so for three years we've been working on the Libertad Urban Farm Project every year we have some sort of festival or event around it a, a block party or something like that um, through that, we realized that before we could even talk about growing the food, there was a more immediate, immediate food, I mean, immediate issue in terms of like food education, people having access to it, changing the conversation. So I used to, I work with mothers on the move. And one of the things that they've often said is that they're not in the business of giving a man a fish. They're in the business of teaching a man how to fish. And so for me, the analysis became sometimes you have to give a man a fish to get on the boat. And then once you get him there, you can teach him to fish. And so our way of doing that, we're doing these um, grub meals, Bronx grub meals. So about every three months, we glean or we get donations of organic, healthy food. We have community members or a local caterer um, volunteer to create these meals. And then we make a big event of it. And we use that as a as an opportunity to do political education, to do base building and movement building. And then meals are always free or sliding scale or donation. Generally just donation, pay what you can. And so our last one was, uh, we're gearing up to do that again. We did it at the BMW Guggenheim Lab when that was around. And that was really fantastic to bring uptown, downtown, and let folks see how, how we do it and what food justice looks like for us. And we had all these awesome organizations in this space creating food and doing food demos and sampling out food. And it it was really great because then people outside of our community got to see, going back to that first question that you had, that it's not just affluent white people doing good food work, that they are amazing groups of color who are really on, you know, picking this up and, and dismantling an equal, unequal food system. And they got to see how that was done with flavor. The big project that we're focusing on now is our um, mobile market. So for two years, I tried to get a farmer's market in my community, and I just wasn't, and I take accountability, it could have just been me, but for whatever reason, I wasn't able to really organize it in the way that I wanted to organize it, and I really felt like a failure at first. I was dealing with these deep feelings of of failure and really trying to push the farmer's market and spending a lot of time trying to create this farmer's market and not getting any results. And then I just got to a point where I was like, well, if something is not working, why do you keep doing it? That's sort of, you know, that's sort of the definition of insanity to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And maybe that's not the way that you're going to fulfill this gap 
that's happening in your community. And so I have um, a group of awesome farmers that I work with upstate, two hours outside of the city, um, called Wasay Community Farm. Um, I have access to farmland there. Um, and these, you know, I call them my fellas. My fellas were growing all this food. We were talking about all the work that we were going to do around food. And one of my best friends and dear friends, Jalal, has, uh, is really sort of the head of this bus cooperative that's part of the Freedom Food Alliance. And he has all of these buses that run on veggie oil. So we've got three buses that run on veggie oil, vegetable oil. And uh, we started talking about what it would be to take our bus sugar cube the irony of doing this work and having a bus called Sugar Cube and um, turning it into a mobile market. And we were just dreaming big. What if we decked it out and put solar panels on it? And, you know, I was kind of joking around, like, we could put rims on it and we could put shelves in it. And then we kind of, like, had an epiphany, like, that's it. That's the way we're going to do it. That's going to be our farmer's market. We're going to bring the farmers directly to the community. And we have so much more ability to do branding and education if we can every week go to three different neighborhoods and take the food there as opposed to asking people to come on down, get your kid in a stroller, all that kind of stuff. And then we started doing our market research and realizing that while it's been done in other places like D.C. and places upstate, Troy, it has, it's, no one's doing it in New York City. And so then we have the opportunity to be the first, right? And so that's what we're working on right now. And that is picking up steam, right? That is the thing that I was kind of like, okay, Tanya, you got it. We were able to raise $5,000 in a month just from different foundations hearing about it, hearing me visualize about it and knowing that we had a bus, they reached out to us and they gave us a little bit of money. So that gave us the ability to do capacity to start recording, to do this Indiegogo campaign that will be, um, ready and launched at the end of the month. Uh, our February 16th event, February 16th, um, at the point, um, which is not just talk food in the South Bronx is going to be a fundraiser. It's not really a protest of TEDx Manhattan. I don't want people to look at it that way. You know, um, it is the opportunity for us to really mobilize, do some movement building and, um, to really rally around a, a way to get food to people in right in their community. This is the epitome of meeting folks where they are to, um, do to feed our babies. That's what I like to say. When I get down to this is about feeding our babies and, uh, you know, we're going to make sure we get those solar power panels. We need to raise 40 to $50,000 so we can get the solar power panels. We can put a Vitamix on it and do smoothies, have some cooling space where we can, you know, let people use their snap benefits. If that's how they're choosing to pay to buy salads and prepared, you know, to, you know, prepared sandwiches. You know, we'd like folks to know what a, uh, you know, a sandwich with roasted vegetables and hummus tastes like. Like, it's not something that they've necessarily been, um, been, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, sort of exposed to. And so it's an opportunity for us to one, honor our, honor our existing healthy cultural traditions because we have many of them. Um, and then also introduce folks to other things that, uh, they can start to make a part of their tradition. And uh, I, I think that right now that's what I'm most amped about. That's what we're concentrating on as we go forward, you know, and we and we move forward. It's really going to be about how do we then create sort of a multi-tiered um, uh, food system in, in the Bronx, sort of on a hyper-local level. And how do we do it in a way that really sort of speaks to that holistic um, analysis that I was talking about previously. All right. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at yale.edu slash sustainable food.